Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we want to come to you. We have burdens. And we want to learn from you that your burden is easy, your yoke is light. So as we come now to your word, would you, by your spirit, help us to learn from you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. And I almost want to say welcome to Siberia this morning. It is cold. And uh, I also want to acknowledge that uh, we had uh, Pastor Dave Bullock on the platform. First time after he's uh, begun his ministry here as the pastor of worship and music. And that's uh, something that needs to be acknowledged and acknowledge the sterling service of all the musicians uh, in the interim. Well, we're looking uh, this morning at John's Gospel. You'll find uh, that in our worship folder, the uh, title and the passage we're looking at. John's Gospel is the focus of our Advent series when we consider John's prologue. Now we come to the other end of John's Gospel, the epilogue. And in that we will find a dialogue between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asks Peter three times whether he loves him, and Peter replies three times that he does. And each time, Peter is given a specific instruction by Jesus to care for the church or the sheep. At the end of this interaction, Jesus tells Peter that he will die. And John, the author of the gospel, explains that Jesus described the kind of death by which Peter would die for a particular purpose, namely to give glory to God. Now you find this passage that we're considering this morning on page 907 in the Church Bibles. It's John chapter 21, reading from verses 15 to 19. So let's hear God's word together, my friends. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
let me just set the context for you in which this is placed in the book of John as, as a whole. Most scholars believe that John is structured in four parts. So there's the introduction or the prologue, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. There's the book of signs, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 or thereabouts to chapter 12 and the end of that. And then there's what's often called the book of exaltation, chapter 13 to the end of chapter 20. And then the epilogue, chapter 21. Additionally, most people believe that uh, the summary purpose of John's gospel, why he wrote this gospel, is summarized by John himself in John 20, verse 30 and verse 31. So this is the overall purpose in which this passage fits. He writes there, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now these signs are usually thought to be seven or six, with the seventh being the cross and the resurrection itself. The death and resurrection of Jesus is either another sign or more likely it is uh, the uh, summary to which the signs all points. So then you find there that in chapter 18, verse 32, John writes this to explain how this all fits together. He says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die, uh, John 18, verse 32, or literally that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled by which he said, signifying by what death he was about to die. Now, similarly, in John 21, verse 19, then, in our passage, John writes, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, or literally, and this he said signifying by what death he will glorify God. This now being Peter. So this passage, then, is showing us a sign that points to God's Glory. What is that sign? One way to answer that question is to observe that dialogue between Jesus and Peter. So here it is. Here's what's going on. Jesus has appeared again to his disciples after his resurrection. Now he comes this time by the Sea of Tiberias, we're told. That is the Sea of Galilee. He's gone back to Galilee. And they don't immediately recognize him, do they? Uh, but when Jesus showed them how to catch a miraculously large amount of fish, John, the author of the gospel and the one who is described in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved, John recognized Jesus and told Peter, look, it's the Lord. It's, there he is. It's the Lord. And Peter, wonderfully exuberantly expressive as ever, Peter immediately jumps into the water after he's wrapped himself again around with his cloak, which he probably took off to fish more easily, I, I suppose, and he reaches Jesus first. Peter then, on Jesus' instructions, drags the bulging net of fish manfully ashore. And John uh, tells us in his gospel that there were specifically 153 fish. 
Some have speculated as to whether this number has, you know, a numerological or mystical meaning, but in all likelihood, we are told that there were 153 fish because that is how many there were. They were fishermen. You can imagine there, can't you, sort of counting them out, going 10, 20, 150, 153. We've got to write that down in our logbook, you know. And so they counted the amount of fish in due astonishment. Then they have breakfast together with Jesus, surely the best breakfast a man has ever eaten. And Jesus performs his characteristic tendency at mealtime, breaking bread and sharing it out and then doing the same with the fish. It's now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so they eat together. And when they're finished, Jesus, in that sort of comfortable lull after a good breakfast, after a hard morning's work, he sort of leans across to Peter and he asks Peter what was plainly intended to be a a sort of meaningful question. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, it's unclear whether Jesus means more than the other disciples, perhaps, or whether Peter's being asked if he loves Jesus more than his career as a fisherman, maybe. Either way, Jesus is asking Peter whether his adoration for Jesus is more to him than anything else. Now, Peter answers that Jesus knows that he loves him. And this interaction happens three times with minor variations in the language. The variations not due to any deep hidden meaning, but for stylistic reasons, a variety of form in the reported dialogue to make it more interesting as we read it. It's important, those of us who have some Greek and are familiar with the Greek words for love, agape and philios, uh, to remember that those two words are not always used of the special spiritual love, agape on the one hand, or the more normal human-friendly love, philios on the other. The the words in Greek have a wider semantic range than that. Agape can also be used for simple, friendly human love, and philios can also be used for the love of God. For instance, Jesus' love is described by the Greek word philios in John 11, verse 3, and agape is used of love for this present evil world in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Now, the point of the repetition is that Peter needed to hear it three times. Uh, Perhaps in replacement for the three times he had denied Christ. Perhaps because also Peter needed to have emphasized what Jesus was instructing him to feed and take care of his lambs and his sheep, that is to take care of the church. See, Peter, in all his interactions that we come across in the Bible, he appears as a personality. He rushed into things, doesn't he? He doesn't wait for long consideration. He, he quickly jumps out of the boat to greet Jesus. Without hesitation, he said he would never deny Jesus. And a little later in the Bible, he, he grasped very fast the idea that the Gentiles were to be included into the church and the ritual food, food rules were not to... There'd be a barrier to table fellowship in God's new community of every tribe and nation. Peter is someone who's quick on the uptake, and he's liable to jump at an opportunity. 
This is a strength. But it also means that sometimes perhaps his convictions were not as long-lasting as they should have been. And so when faced with the temptation to deny Jesus or to retreat before people who criticized him for eating with those who are not ceremonially clean, there wasn't yet sufficient of that resolve that can really only come from deliberation and reflection and then decision. So perhaps Jesus was asking him three times so that three times Peter could hear himself respond. And three times Peter could hear Jesus specifically instruct him personally to take care of the church. Peter, perhaps, was the kind of person who just needed to hear that not once, but twice, but thrice. That said, though this three-time repeated refrain may be simply a device of repetition to drive the point deep into Peter's mind, (laughs) the echo of Peter's denial must have been present for Peter three times and was probably an intended echo for John as he wrote this gospel, I think. And so each denial of Jesus is rewritten now, not with a simple forgiveness. So that's there. They now are in fellowship together. He's forgiven. He's at the meal table. They're eating together. But now also with a restitution. That is an opportunity to start again, a a restoration to serve. The purpose of taking care of the church, Peter. There's uh, the one other echo that I think we need to have reverberating in our minds as we consider the meaning of this passage, and that is the echo of the nature of the good shepherd. See, John in his gospel has already told us that the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd does not run away when there's a threat to the church. The good shepherd is someone who self-sacrifices for the sake of the sheep. Well, Jesus is that good shepherd who gave up his life for the church. Well, now Peter is being told that he too, as he takes care of the church, will lay down his life for the church. And in this regard, he is also a sign that points to the glory of God. And that in this way, he is to follow the pattern of the life of Jesus. So I believe then that this passage is intended to teach us the following. Self-sacrificial care for the church is a sign that glorifies God. Now, if, if I'm right in seeing that that's the, the main thrust of this passage, what we're meant to learn and reflect upon and, and f- feel and think and have our hearts or our affections orientated towards, if, if, if I'm right about that, and remember that John didn't randomly select different events in the life of Jesus, but they are carefully selected for a particular purpose. There are many other things, he tells us, 
that he could have recorded. But the whole world wouldn't have enough space for all the books that could be written if they were all put down. These are selected for this purpose. And if I'm right that this self-sacrificial care for the church is a sign that glorifies God is what this passage is teaching you, you and me. Well, then it raises a number of questions, doesn't it? It does for me, and I suspect it does for you. Number one would be this. Primary of all these questions would be this kind of question. That is, is this really practically the case? Is it actually the case that people who give up their own self-interest for the sake of caring for the church are those who have the best life and those who most glorify God? Is this the highest, most fulfilling life, a life that is like Jesus's, giving yourself for the church? That's an important question to ask, isn't it? Because just about everything in our society today would tell us quite the contrary. Today, society tells us that the kind of life that we are to seek, the kind of life that is, in John's language, most glorious, is uh, the life of self-fulfillment. In 2005, Steve Jobs told a graduating class at Stanford University this, that the most important thing to remember in their lives was to follow their intuition and their dreams. That's it. Follow your dreams. Well, of course, Job's is just repeating the standard mantra of our own day. This is the standard message that everyone is preaching today in media, in society. We are told, you and I are told over and over again that life is, in John's terms, most glorious when we find what we really want, what our true dream is, and we fulfill that. Well, along comes Jesus. He says something rather different. True self-fulfillment can only come as you follow the life pattern of Jesus, which is giving your life for uh, God's people, for the church. Well, these are quite contradictory visions of life, aren't they? And they cannot both be true. We must decide which is true and then orientate our lives around one or other vision, Jesus's or the rebirth of the pagan world, which is taking place in our own current society today. We also need to see one other aspect of how countercultural this is, this message here that I think is present in this passage, not just present, is the message of the passage. How countercultural it is, not just sort of in secular society, but in the old, you know, the whole subculture of evangelicalism and Christianity in our own life right now. See, this is not only countercultural because it's telling us that the highest and best life is the life like Jesus's that gives your life for the church, uh, gives your life for someone else. It's specifically for that purpose, for the church. Well, that's the last thing that much of contemporary Christianity would tell us is what we should be giving our lives for, the church. 
It's far more common in Christian circles even. If you're not a Christian here today, this may surprise you, but you talk to your Christian friends and they will tell you it's true. It's far more common to hear the joke that church would be great if it were not for the people than to hear, you know, anecdotes from the past of our forebears who knew far better. For instance, famous missionary William Carey. He, uh, when he heard that his son had been made an ambassador, said this, My son is shriveled from a missionary into an ambassador. Well, what is the answer to the question? Whether self-sacrificial care for the church as a sign that glorifies God is really ultimately fulfilling in the best life possible. I think the answer, and I, uh, let me be very frank with you, I've wrestled with this this week. All of my adult life has been around giving myself for God's people. I mean, I'm a sinner too, by the way, in case you didn't know, but this is what I've tried to orientate my life around. Is it really true what Jesus is saying here? And I think the answer is a right understanding of glory. It's a sign that glorifies God. You see, you and I, when we're really honest with each other, we think of glory as approval from other people, don't we? Status. Being on the podium at the Olympic Games or whatever the equivalent would be in business life or even church life. But by that... Jesus actually is saying in John's Gospel, that kind of glory, status, approval from other people. Well, that's seeking glory from people rather than seeking glory from God. He puts a contrast there. See, when Jesus here says to Peter that by self-sacrificial care for the church, he will glorify God, he then, what does he then immediately say? Can you see what comes right after it? Follow me. That's not by accident. See, glory in John's gospel is the glory of Jesus. It's first revealed when Jesus changed water into wine. He did this and so revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. He revealed his glory. The glory is the glory of Jesus, the glory that Jesus had with the Father from the beginning as we considered when we looked at the prologue just a few weeks ago around Christmas time. The glory that was displayed when God glorified Jesus at the hour of his passion, the hour as John describes it, his death, resurrection and ascension to glory. So here, the glory of God that Peter is promised, here's the motivation if, like Jesus, he gives himself, he self-sacrifices in his care for the church, the glory of God that Peter has promised if he self-sacrificially cares for the church is Jesus. That is what you get. You know, you say, what's in it for me? That's what you get when you self-sacrifice for the church. You, you follow Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life for the sheep like a good shepherd, not running away, but sacrificing himself for them. 
Peter is to do the same, and in doing so will glorify God, and now will follow Jesus. What Peter gets by self-sacrificial care for the church is Jesus, that is glory. It is Jesus himself. That is your glory if you self-sacrificially care for the church. It's the person of Jesus. I don't just mean, you know, the four spiritual laws or the sinner's prayer or something. I mean encountering Jesus, knowing Jesus. Jesus, as he's revealed in John's gospel, is the creator of all, the Logos. You get Jesus. You will know Jesus. You'll be close to Jesus. You will experience Jesus. By his spirit. It's not just pie in the sky. It's now. You will follow Jesus. The secret of God, the Old Testament says, is those that fear him. Psalm 25 verse 14. And that secret is Jesus. When you self-sacrifice for the church, like Jesus died for the church, then you're following Jesus, and the glory of God that you get is Jesus himself. You get Jesus. That's why you come to church. That's why you attend church. That's why you serve in church. That's why you give your time and your money and your talents and your resources to church. Because you get the glory. Because you get Jesus. In April 2012, Pastor Mario Akidre, a former Muslim who had converted to Christianity, pastor, was killed right in front of his wife in his own house. And this, I think, is a reputable account. I know sometimes these stories are passed around the internet and that kind of thing, but I think this is a reputable account. My husband, she recalled, staggered into our bedroom and I was shocked because he was full of blood. I brought him to the hospital right away. I'm telling you the story because I want you to understand that this is reality, both there and here. I brought him to the hospital right away. He was operating on for eight bullet wounds but did not survive. Right now, Christians are being killed for their care for the church. Why are they doing it? This December the 23rd, former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, wrote in the Telegraph that the persecution of Christians means that ancient Christian communities predating Islam are on the verge of disappearing from their homelands in the Middle East. Well, God is sovereign over all that, and there's a great mission enterprise going on at the same time, and many, many Muslims are being converted. Nonetheless, people are dying. Why are they giving their lives? Right now, people are self-sacrificing for the church because of the glory that is knowing Jesus, having Jesus, following Jesus. Here and for all eternity, in depth and reality and power and passion, life-changing energy, 
Well, will you do the same? Will you deliberately, consciously, and immediately give up of yourself for the sake of caring for the church and so glorify God and thereby follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Our Lord God, what could be more encouraging? We are offered motivations to do things, reasons to buy certain products. What could be more motivating than that the author of life himself is one that we can know, follow, be with, be His, be changed by, enjoy, love, have as our dearest, deepest, highest, most treasured, possession. Other people and things can offer me anything, but no one can beat that. And so, Lord, we pray that in light of who you are, we would, like Peter, follow you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.